I'm Evelyn and I'm a geoholic. Oh my God! Another one of my all-time favorite bands. Woo! Every, oh, absolutely! No, I'm so glad our guest tonight is a huge U2 fan. And let's loop him in early. My uh, friend Simon, have you seen U2 live? I have seen U2 live. Uh, I think four times now, all in very different circumstances. How about have you seen them in Ireland? I have seen them in Ireland. I am so fucking jealous right now. <laughs> of course. Oh my God! Wow. Was it incredible? Yeah, I mean, Ireland itself, you know, seeing them play, uh, the crowd was probably fifty to 70,000, uh, and it's just insane. And very, very different, and, and that's why I say I've seen them in very different environments. I mean, I saw, I saw them play in Ireland, I saw them play at Wembley Stadium with 120,000 people there. We waited nine hours to see them play, oh. um, and then the first time I saw them in Arizona... We walked in and there were people <laughs> sat down. And I'm like, "What is going on? What you cannot sit down when you two's playing?" Oh, oh yeah, God. did you get yelled at for standing in front of people while I they was were uh, ready sitting? To yell at people. <laughs> I'm the most down. jealous human being That's on the awesome. planet right now. Oh my it's God! Incredible. It's all right, we're gonna get back to you. Hold, hold that. Hold that thought. All right. Uh, real quick, welcome to you, Hawks. To hey, episode 148. 148. It's been a couple, it's been two weeks. It took a week off. I feel like it's been forever. I know. It really does so feel like weird. a long time. And it, I mean, it's just exactly 14 days, but. Yeah, but we do have some updates real quick. I did attend the RCN conference in Boise last week. Uh -huh. And all I got to say is Matt Bird and his team, you know, his, I met his dad, his brother, his entire team, his entire support team. They did a phenomenal job with that conference. That's the second year? This is the second year of it. I mean, the, the thing is huge, and it's in the second year. It's in the second year, and you know they, they have a dilemma because they have this unbelievable venue. It's called the Knitting Factory. It's like the, old, like the oldest concert venue in Boise. I don't know if that's saying a lot. I don't know. I don't know the history of Boise, but it is so freaking it's cool. It's unbelievable. And they're like, okay, so what do we do? Do we keep it at a limit of 300 people and keep it at this venue, which is unbelievable. It's like the perfect venue. Or do we open it up and say we get 500 to 1,000 people to show up and we go to the conference center? You know, it's like, no, mm. no, 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 no. You, lo you lose the you mystique lose it. of You lose it. Yeah. yeah, completely lose it. Absolutely. And I think they're in agreement with that. But Kent, I, I think you're also being a little uh, hmm? modest here because um, <laughs> you were a panelist. Well, I, I and, was uh, invited to be a panelist and uh, with a, another, myself and six other surveyors talking about surveying and how it applies to reality capture and stuff like that. And it was, it was amazing. I met so many incredible people and I can't thank Matt enough for inviting uh, myself and the Geohawks to be represented there. It was, it was just incredible. And on that same note, we will be at Trimble Dimensions here in a couple Ooh, of weeks. Ooh, that's going to be the big one. The big one. I mean, yes. every single person, I swear to God, I mean, it's probably not true, but every single person I talk to that I know is going to Trimble Dimensions in November, here in like two and a half weeks. Well, you do live in a geospatial world, so mo it's yes. not crazy that... Every person that you know is going to this conference. It's going to be huge. Yeah. That's all I can say. It is going to be massive. Yeah. yeah. And, and the Geoholics will be there. Very well represented. Oh, in yes. A, a number of fashions. And I, I just got to say, we got all this new swag. We got t-shirts. We have top-of-the-line koozies, not those shitty koozies we were giving out before. We have wristbands. Oh, yeah. We, we have we, fucking... 
two different, three different stickers now, hats, the whole deal. It's incredible. I am still waiting for my breast cancer awareness t-shirt. Just, just you haven't gotten it in the mail yet? Nope. Well, that's interesting well, because however, people... There are about 17, we were out of town this weekend, yeah. so I have about 17 packages still at the front door. So it might be one of those. <laughs> it's probably one yeah, of those. I just always assume they're my wife's. Yeah, what's yeah. super cool is like people are starting to get their t-shirts and they're posting pictures online and telling oh, yeah. us yeah, like yeah, on Instagram yeah, yeah. and stuff like that. Um, I, I'm humbled. It's, it was just such a great experience. And the fact that we raised money and everything, and again, thank you to PETA for all her efforts. Um, it, it's just been awesome. So, But again, going back to Trimble Dimensions, we're going to be there in two and a half weeks. It's going to be incredible. Last week's show was recorded like a week and a half ago, two weeks ago, I guess. Yep. Um, but, oh, my gosh, those guys from Land Surveys, um, what the traction's been incredible. Well, what I was amazed on is yeah. they were like, hey, uh, here's all the things that we want to, uh, you know, promote this on. And they have, like, a website and, like their social media. I mean, there yeah. was like 17 links of stuff and I'm like, how do you get this straight? And, uh, I was, I, I was very impressed. I mean, they've got their shit together. They really do. And I, I appreciate the fact that they supplied all that information and all the hashtags. And oh yeah. Tags on Instagram and blah, 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 blah. Um, it's been great and, and humbling. It's, it's, it's humbling ultimately. Um, tonight's just you and me, Sean. It is. And our guest, it's intimate. All in studio. We have a guest in studio. It's been a bit. I really love it when we're all in studio. One, because I do as the, well. On the technical side, it's a lot easier to manage. You know, some <laughs> microphones and a. Um, but I, it, it is more intimate. And it, I uh, have a lot really of fun. It really is. It really is. Um, with that, tell us about that opening number. Um, of course, guys. That was you too. Uh, here's just some stats on you too. Everyone knows who they are. Uh, that was a song called Desire. U2 has released 14 studio albums, have sold an estimated between 150 and 170 million records worldwide, have won 22 Grammys, were inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame in 2005. Still think that's a little late. Uh, Rolling Stone magazine ranked U2 as the number 22 on the list of the 100 greatest artists of all time and 17 million <coughs> monthly listeners on Spotify. Just a few more million than the Geoholics. <laughs> <laughs> and the black moods for that matter. And the black moods for that matter. Uh, but yeah, I mean, it, it's like they're one of those bands that for me have been around my entire life, yes. have been awesome and, and immensely popular my entire life. They seem like a thing that's just always been there. Through the uh, formative years, as they say. Uh, yes, yes. Yeah, you know, it's going to be there for a long time as well. Like Sean, Sean like I, with a six-year-old, <clears throat> I was delighted about uh, seeing two of the movie coming out. And uh, when it oh, first came yes. out, I'm there with my daughter watching the movie. And if you don't know, Clay Calloway, uh, the main character, is is Bono. And when the songs started coming on and I'm singing them, my daughter turns to me and goes, Dad, how do you know Clay Calloway's music? So okay. she yes. might not know that it's actually Bono right now. But no way. She, she I did not know that. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, that's one of the that's one of the songs Evelyn sings. And she no does way. a little dance thing, and it's all. Yeah. Yeah. That is awesome. Very cool. Very cool. All right, real quick. Uh, we are, of course, in the Diamondback Lancerving studio. Um, what can I add to this besides the fact that I freaking love being here? Um, oh, I did see, I don't know if you guys saw this on social media, but, uh, Trent Keenan, huge, uh, huge fan of the show and mm -hmm. supporter of the show. Mm -hmm. Um, he has again supported a, a NASCAR, a NASCAR. Oh yeah, that's right. Yeah. Yep. yep. I think it's, I think it's number 66 is his car and it's like Diamondback Lancer Bang, all over the side, all over the back, all the... 
he does so much for supporting the profession. We just can't say enough. I'm telling you, the guy lives in a in a different on a different planet. Where we are going to experience his, that planet here in a couple yeah, weeks. His, we're in Vegas. His days are somewhere between 37 <laughs> and 54 hours, and everyone else is 24. Mm. So somehow he gets uh, way more done. Yeah, I, well, I've told him a number of times. I guarantee you, there's three trends. There's not just one because one trend cannot accomplish everything that he does. It's like three of them. Yeah. Um, so again, thanks Trent for all the support. And we look forward to seeing you at Trimble Dimensions here in a couple of weeks. Time for producer Sean's degenerate lock of the week. Are we still doing this? What's going on here? Um, I mean, I'm a man of my word. We're going to do a lock of the week. Uh, I believe the lock of the week is now one for four. So it's pretty much turned into if you want to want a lock, take the opposite of what I'm going to say. Uh, but again, I'll remind everybody when we started this segment, I am not a good gambler. Um, and I usually make bets based on what Vegas wants guys like me to, to make bets on. So that being said, so you're a sucker. Oh, I am the sucker. Like when the when the bookmakers are like looking at the odds, they have like a picture of me, and I'm like, okay, what uh, what what you know, what can we put on here to make this guy throw some money down? And they've got me in mind the entire time. So with that being said, um, Monday night's game is the Bears at the Patriots. Ooh, line my that Chicago I saw. Bears, yes, who yes, are Kent's. freaking horrific. Yes, and. As crazy as this sounds, the line was at minus seven and a half. So uh, they're giving the Patriots seven and a half points. I'm saying take the Bears. Ooh. That's just a lot of points. Interesting. I know I, I, all the things. I'm, I'm getting close to being in opposite land here. If everything I think is wrong, then start picking the opposite. <laughs> but my immediate thought was, man, that's a lot of points. It's going to be ugly. Monday night games are usually, you know. And not as bad as Thursday night games, but usually there's a lot of anticipation and nothing a lot happens. So haven't been impressed with the Patriots all year. I'm saying take the Bears lock of the week. Seven and a half. At, take take give them yeah, take all those seven right. and a half points. I hope you're right. They'll probably lose by a field goal or maybe two field goals, but I, I got a feeling I mean, I it, it, we're just trending in that direction. I love it. I love it. Good. I God, I don't even know what to say because I never bet on the Bears. Ever. Ever do I buy the Bears? Because they always fucking let me down every single time. So hopefully seven and a half is going to do it for you, my friend. I hope so. All right. Time for this week's liquid desk job of the week. And this is a really simple one. So I reached out to Trent, who we uh, mentioned yeah. previously. Uh-huh. I'm like, Trent, hey, we're doing this uh, job of the week uh, skit here over the last couple episodes. Do you have something for me? He said, I sure do. He said, uh, of course he does. He says, uh, send me warm bodies. Oh, he's at that stage. <laughs> okay, okay, been there. Good for him. That's yeah. a, that's his yes. job of the week post. Uh, I'm, like, so I'm like, I will pass that along. If you have a heartbeat, if you have a heartbeat, uh, take a mirror. Yep. Breathe on it. If if it fogs up, give Trent a call. <laughs> if you're willing to learn, Trent will put you. He yep. will set you up for success. Uh, it's that, that simple. That I that I do know. He trains. He mentors. Yep. He does all that. So. You know, all kidding aside, if yes. you are looking for a Absolutely. new career or want to do something or anything in that anything in the survey space, please yep. reach out. Absolutely. And if you're going to be in Las Vegas for Trimble Dimensions, be sure to meet Trent. He's going to be all over the place. And oh, yeah. uh, uh, I can't wait to catch up with him. There's so much that he and I need to catch up on. It's ridiculous. So it's going to be a great show. It's going to be a great week. It really be will be a great week. Absolutely. Before we get to our guests this evening, here is this week's Bad Elf Minute. 
Hello, Geoholics, and welcome to Bad Elf's Point of Beginning, a segment specially crafted for the consumption of geospatial news, history, and technology. We hope you enjoy the content and perhaps even learn something. My name is Dr. Nick Smolovsky, I'm a geoholic, and I'm here to be your geospatial guide. Today I'd like to take a moment and follow up on two previous stories discussed on the Bad Elf Point of Beginning segment. The first was discussed back in October 2021, and it pertained to a NASA mission seeking to bump a hypothetical crash course asteroid away from Earth. A mission called DART, or the Double Asteroid Redirection Test, successfully launched, traveled to the target asteroid, Didymus, in the asteroid belt, mind you, and stunningly struck its target. Using kinetic energy, the impact tested to see if humanity could protect Earth. Fun fact. The satellite was piloted by a sophisticated onboard auto navigation system that completed the strike due to communication times taking up to 38 seconds to reach the spacecraft from Earth. Speaking of Earth, it also appears that billionaire Elon Musk intends to move forward with the $44 billion purchase of social media giant Twitter. Musk claims that he wants to take over Twitter not only to make it profitable, but to promote digital freedom of speech online. Whether or not you agree with Musk's assertion that big tech censors specific socio-political opinions, the outcome of this deal could have huge ramifications both fiscally and socially. With Twitter stock prices fluctuating widely and the upcoming U.S. election, everyone seems to be on edge on what will happen next. The judge arbitrating the case with Musk and Twitter has given the world's richest person until October 28th to complete the agreement. Many believe Musk may take over Twitter much earlier than that, but only space-time will tell. If you have any questions or comments about today's POB segment, please reach out to me via LinkedIn or through the Geoholics channels. And that does it for us at B2 Studios in sunny Texas. Live long and prosper, my friends. All right, here we go. Let's let's loop our guests into this officially. We have Simon Davis with us this week. He is born in Ireland, uh, lived there for 11 years, and then uh, lived in the UK. We'll find out more about that here in a bit. His undergrad is in Southampton, uh, master's in Manchester, big sports fan, shitty golfer. Shitty? Poor? Shitty? Pretty shitty. Pretty shitty? Enthusiastic. <laughs> Enthusiastic right golfer. Dad to a six-year-old, God bless you, future of work related event creator is what I have as his job description. Uh, he loves working for himself. Uh, his passion is his family, uh, Liverpool FC, and of course, Irish rugby. Simon, thanks so much for being here. Welcome to the Geoholics. Great to be here. Thanks for having me. Um, real quick, before we get going, we have the Trimble Geospatial yep. uh, Icebreaker. What is the best advice you have ever received? Uh, don't eat anything bigger than your head. <laughs> what? It's the best. It was funny. It's one of it's one of That's those great. things. Like you know, it's one of those things that used to be. I'm so caught off guard right now. <laughs> you know, when people would say, "Don't eat yellow snow," I had a friend who'd always say, "Don't eat anything big in your, big in your head," and I thought it was pretty good advice. It's pretty hard to eat anything bigger than your head. Um, I think. I mean, more seriously, I think for me, where I am yeah. now in my life. Yep. Um, it sounds trite, but um, you know you learn more from your failures than from your successes. Yeah. Um, and I absolutely have seen that, you know, throughout mm -hmm. my career. 
I had a very easy ride for many years and then things took a turn south and, and mm. I definitely learned a lot more uh, in those sort of uh, down times than I did in the up sure. times, right? Yep. Um, so I think that, that that's something that's always resonated with me. Um, you know, I, enjoying what I'm doing now and as you mentioned, working for myself, but I don't want to get too uh, too far ahead of myself. We're going to get into that for sure. Keep it uh, paired back as much yeah. as I can. So when did things turn south? What did that look like? It was intriguing. Cause, I mean, I, uh, I'd, I'd been in the U.S. for about eight years, worked for the same company the entire time, did very well uh, for the company and for you know the parent company and was enjoying what I was doing, but I was kind of getting a bit burnt out and somebody had been, uh, for a few years, had been trying to recruit me to come on board. Um, I happened to meet them in just at, at one of those times. I had a really bad day. I meet the guy in New York. and The first thing he does is he actually shows me uh, it was the first three minutes of this uh, movie that came out many years ago, uh, which was one of the true story movies around the Navy SEALs. And at the time, I was very, very into that. You know, I just read Lone Survivor. And so he dropped in the conversation then that one of the other things they were doing as a company was they were investing in the movie Lone Survivor. Um, mm. And I'm like, that, more than the job, more than the actual career, that whole thing got me. And sort of the gentleman said at the end of lunch, he's like, look, if you come on board, I'll get you tickets to the premiere. Um, oh, wow. And we went to the premiere of that, but the very first day of my job, they got me to the premiere of another one of their movies, which was called Two Guns. And I am literally sat in a, a hotel in um, New York, having watched the movie. I'm sat with my wife, and across the table is uh, Mark Wahlberg. Denzel Washington is in the room, uh, along with many others. And I think that was the point where I like I've made it. This yeah. is the thing. Um, and unfortunately, that company just it never really took off. And you know, I. Remember yeah. getting a call. I was in Omaha Airport one day, just saying we've decided we're folding the company. Ah. Um, and you know that was definitely a kick, uh, and just sort of I think that was part of that realization of you know not 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 moving too fast and making sure that you know you have the right things in place before before you're patting yourself on the back. But cool stories and you know great experiences meeting some of these people. I don't know how somebody like a Mark Wahlberg actually does it because even in that small sphere of maybe 150 people. Everybody wanted a piece of him. Yeah. Uh, so it was uh, yeah, fascinating uh, yeah. insight and, and uh, look into a different world than, than I've had in the past. So. Yeah. Well, that's going to be Sean at uh, Trimble Dimensions. There 150 people all wanting a piece of him. What are uh, you, yeah. How are you going to handle that, Sean? You know, I'm just going to like look and, and try, to, try to just think about my inner Mark Wahlberg. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> Yeah, good stuff. So your your career path, uh, Simon, is really interesting, and it's led you to um, purposeful intent, which I love the name of this movement. Tell us about that journey. Uh, yeah, I mean, it's been a long journey, and I'll, I'll I'll cut it to the interesting parts. But I, I've spent you know close to twenty years working in technology related to predominantly corporate real estate. So, you know, solutions to help companies better manage their portfolios, whether it be um, how much space do they need, how do they manage work requests, you know, how do they manage projects, etc. Um, and I've done sort of every sphere of that from a tech perspective, from being a consultant to selling products to uh, two startups, very bleeding edge. Hmm. Um, and actually, funnily timing, because about a year ago, um, coming out of COVID, I set out on my typical September, October, November, it's always around that time. We do sort of five, six weeks back to back of conferences like the one that you're talking about in Vegas, Yep. you know, where you basically go and you meet people and you sit down and you do what you do. Um, and the thing that fascinated me was I did five back to back and I was just really overwhelmed with the fact that none of them had really changed. 
right? Even though the fact that we'd been home for two years because of COVID, yeah. the format was the same. It felt like the same thing. And, and I felt, and certainly was speaking to people I knew, that the industry was really crying out for a forum where companies could come and talk to each other about what was actually going on. I think the thing that was missing, you know, is that you were getting sort of vested interest speakers and sponsors and people buying positions on panels and people talking at the audience, but not really getting the audience involved and talking. And, and I really felt specifically coming out of COVID that any company, large or small, they didn't want to hear from me trying to tell them what technology could solve their problems. They wanted to speak to their peers and say, what are you doing? What are you experiencing? Mm. You know, how are you bringing people back? Are you bringing people back? Should you bring people back? Um, and from that, you know, just really sort of set out this idea of creating a, a conference, a small format event. Um, we, we, we deliberately leave it at sort of 100 people max so we can engage them. We bring in speakers from... Uh, outside the industry that make them think. Um, we've had some really good ones <coughs> recently. Um, one of them, uh, we brought in a lady who, uh, part of her background uh, was actually working for Tinder. Um, and she did an incredible keynote speech about... Why are you pointing at me? <laughs> <laughs> about, the, uh, about, you know, just about the parallels between, um, you know, attraction in the relationship sense and, and attraction in connection in the workplace sense, right? So just the personal aspects of how you would bring people back in. So we're trying to bring in people that make people wow. Um, another one we've only started in the last year, another one we did which I thought was amazing, uh, we brought in a, a, a speaker who then performed in the evening. And his speech was really very much about creativity, innovation, about um, inclusivity, um, diversity. Mm. Right? And he talked about how his creative genes flowed. You know, this guy had been through many iterations of his life. He almost killed himself at one point, very heavily dependent on drugs and all these other aspects. And um, after his keynote, he then performed, and, and the sort of the build-up reason is it was um, a DMC from Run DMC. Now, oh, wow. if you'd have just seen him perform, you'd have been like, wow, this is incredible. But I, I felt more about his uh, fireside chat, talking about his life, you know, a young black kid wearing glasses, growing up, yeah. living poet loving poetry, and he's actually, you know, now written a kid's book about that that, mm. that I read to my daughter. Yep. Um, and... And so what I'm trying to do with Purposeful Intent is to bring people together, have really great experiences, and also have the chance to talk um, about what's really happening, you know, with this whole return to work and future of work. So, Yeah, yeah. So, so that's a great story. So, like, when you talk about the future of work, it is so intriguing to me. And Sean and I have talked about it a lot. It's like oh, yeah. a lot has changed since – I mean, I hate, hate, hate to bring up COVID, but that was kind of a catalyst or a trigger – that changed a lot of things yep. when it comes to the way we do business, correct? Absolutely, especially in the U.S. I mean, I, I equate it, you know, having worked in other countries, lived in other countries, you know, we don't, we didn't strive in Ireland or in England or Australia and other places I've been, you know, to be at the office the longest. We never strove to say, although you only give me 10 days vacation, I'm only taking eight because I'm such a big professional. And when I came to the U.S., I was kind of blown away at first, and this is 20 years ago, about that aspect. And it kind of felt like, you know, pre-COVID, many of us were like Milton in office space, right? As long as we had a job, we didn't really care what was, you know, suffered on us. We would be pushed down to the, you know, that basement floor room. Yep. And, uh, and, and, and I think the biggest thing that COVID did, and especially in the U.S., I think more pronounced in the U.S. market is it gave everybody there, every single employee from any company. Um, I focus more on the knowledge worker side, but the ability to say, you know, I can work from home. I can work in a different yep. manner. And I think the other big realization was when the world shut down, you know, what do you think, what do you want to do? 
Yeah. Right. You know, they say, I mean, nobody lies on their deathbed saying, I wish I worked more. And I think COVID gave people that kind of a kick to say, well, should I really be doing this? You mm. know, should I really be spending an hour, two hours of my day commuting? You know, why can't I work in a different way so I can take my daughter to school or yep. I can go to soccer practice or whatever it might be? Um, and I think that's, for me, that's sort of the big realization for everybody is that we can work in a different way and still be successful. And we have two years of proof to say to our bosses, and especially those that only manage by sight that look, there is a different way. So from a purposeful intent perspective, what is your mission? Uh, my mission really is to, is to bring people together and have those conversations. Yeah. Um, and you know, there's, there's no real answer. Um, I think a lot of the problems in every aspect of our, our world right now is people see things as binary, you know, only, only one yeah. or one answer is right or wrong. And I think in, in work, especially yeah. it's proven that that's not the case. Um, I've also for years have, you know, internally fought against sort of the vested interest of, of people who were trying to push you down a certain direction because it serves them. Uh, I've seen that so pronounced in, uh, you know, sort of the post-COVID world. You know, I look at, at one example being commercial brokers. They'll do anything to get you back into space because they've not been getting their commissions. Mm. Um, and I couldn't imagine being a commercial real estate broker right now. It's for the last couple of years for that. Yeah, I mean, you know, I think the good tough. ones, the good ones are going to succeed and do well. But I think, I think there's going to be it's changed, change right? I mean, it's yeah, yeah like you, like yeah. you were just saying, it's 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 yeah. not it's not not there. It's just different. And exactly. if they take the same approach as yeah. they did five years ago, then yeah. those are the ones that are not going to succeed. Yeah, they absolutely have to evolve totally in agree. terms of what their offering is and and yeah. you know how they help people. Yeah. Um, and you know, for me, I always. I've always loved putting on a good event and that's the other mm. piece of it, right? Is yeah, you know, we make sure that we do have, you know, good food, good drinks, good experiences. Every every event is different, right? It's not formulaic. And unfortunately I think a lot of the conferences have gotten very formulaic. They've definitely gotten very conscious of, you know, at the end of the day their business is to uh create revenue out of having a conference. So mm-hmm. I think there are some yep. industries and I'm sure it's across the you know, across the globe, but that if somebody's willing to pay to speak, they'll let them pay to speak. Um, and I've done away with any of that. You know, I really want to focus on getting the right level of talent mm-hmm. to be interesting to attendees. So, so in your opinion, what does the modern day workspace look like? I think it changes a lot. Uh, I think there's a lot of different parameters around it. Um, and I, I think the biggest parameter is, you know, that I, um, I saw a statistic this morning from a, a colleague of mine who is the CIO of JLL, you know, one of the biggest commercial firms in the world. Um, and he said that I think it was 89% of companies have brought some form of flexibility into their workplace offering. Mm-hmm. And I, th- I think that number should be 100. I, I don't see any reason why people, from a knowledge perspective, different if you're in manufacturing, but why, why people should not have some flexibility in their life. Yep. And we're seeing, I think, just a small movement now. I, you know, there's terms thrown around like the Great Resignation and quiet quitting, which yeah, we heard know, that heard that earlier. Heard that, yeah, I mean, quiet quitting. You know, quiet, quiet. So wait, how, what? What is just quiet re- quitting? Is it just not responding? And what? What is that? How do you? It's, how do you describe quiet quitting? I would. I think I've experienced it, it but I want to understand. I, it. I, is, is that wait? Or is that you? You are currently experiencing it personally, or you have seen it? <laughs> <laughs> I've seen it. Yeah. I, think, I mean, to, to me, I think it's. I think it's disengagement rebranded. I think Boom. it's just people that yeah. aren't. Yes. People that aren't yes. excited about what they're doing, yes. right? And they've you know, all these buzzwords are around it, like like the Great Resignation. Frankly, I think we haven't even touched the the surface on that yet, right? Depending on where the economy goes, you know, I'm I have worked with clients in the past that have gone from being very traditional. You know, we've been in the same office for twenty years. I've had the same desk for twenty years. Pandemic happens. 
we have mm. to become modern so we say that okay you can work from home a few days guess what everyone yeah. picks the same days at some point right. the cfo is going to look at the balance sheet and say wait a minute why are we doing this we are not saving any money yeah. and that's when people will quit when you dangle um you know a flexible flexible work schedule to people for a couple of years and then try and bring them all back that's when they'll quit and i don't think we've seen anything close i think to a to a great resignation i think it's just people so yeah. far largely re you know reassessing their own individual priorities and and you know the two years we had or so do i want to be doing what i have been doing and if not what do i want to do so yeah and i was curious about how that i know i've seen you uh, talk a lot about uh, the high, uh, a hybrid model, and you kind of mentioned that of like, oh, you know, if say, okay, let's go to four days a week instead. Well, then magically the office is now closed on Friday because yep. everyone wants to work Monday through Thursday <laughs> and blow off Friday. Yep. And then I like, I'm curious on your your perspective of how have you seen other companies adapt to this? Where is it? Do you start with seniority and say, okay, the guys have been here the longest, get their first pick and then and then at the at the tail end okay you get tuesday afternoon to work from home and and yeah. and like how how have they adapted to this because like you said you 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 throw out flexible and then all of a sudden it doesn't work for the organization and now you're pulling it back and now people are leaving because of that yeah i, I mean i think there are firms out there that unfortunately have decided that flexibility means making that decision about how many days a week you should be in the office in my view where a company should start is look at what are you trying to achieve? You know, the reason that Purposeful Intent came about was it's, it's, it's a bit of a nod to a friend of mine um, who would always say that, you know, you should come into the office with a purposeful intent. You know, he felt the office w was for celebration. It was for community. It was for collaboration. It shouldn't be your day two destination just to come and, you know, type on a computer. I, I will say to people all the time, like our daughters who are um, both similar ages, they're going to think we're crazy. When we tell them in 10 years' time that we used to get in a car, we used to, or I mean, for me, when I was living in the UK, at one point I would get on a train, I would travel an hour mm. into London, I would march crazy. across London, get on the subway, go into the office, work for, you know, maybe seven hours with a two-hour lunch, um, <laughs> and then and then go home, or while wearing, wearing a suit and tie. And I yep. think my daughter's going to be like, you were crazy. You can do all of this stuff at home yep. on your laptop. Yep. And I think that's been a big change. But, yeah, I mean, I, you know, I think you do have to approach it with what are we trying to achieve? When should we be in the office and why? And, and there is still, in my mind, a gap that probably a Slack or a Microsoft or a Google is going to fill to your exact point, uh, Shane, of saying, when should Shane Sean even yeah, of saying yeah. we only know each other <laughs> only forever, two years yeah, uh, of saying when should we bring people back and why and I yeah. think I think Slack could, could be an incredible tool for that because it has the data it knows who's community who's communicating with whom about what and it knows probably by looking at the information when there is an impasse and saying you should come into the office yep. to get this thing resolved so um, hard obviously for companies because you know. The big fear factor I'm hearing is well, what happens if if we, yeah. what happens if we reduce our footprint by sixty percent and all of a sudden everybody wants to come back in, right? That's that's it's a fear factor still right now, right. and we're still I think yep. a good eighteen months from really understanding the data behind it. Yep. So Simon, I I love what you're saying, hundred and ten percent. I'm totally on board with what you're saying, and I look at like for example the company that Sean and I work for. And there are a number of employees that show up at the office every single day at seven o'clock in the morning and they leave at whatever, three thirty, four o'clock in the afternoon. And I'm like, why, why do they need to physically be there? They don't have to be. They really don't have to be physically I, I, there. But if you have the right people in the right places. 
I can speak on that a little bit. Yeah. And, and, and it, like, like anything it's, and like Simon said earlier, it's, it's not just one answer, like, mm-hmm. uh, taking an approach of everyone's different and every organization's different. And like in our office, I can say that a lot of our staff, we, we went through this. It was okay. Work from home. We've got teams. We've got all these tools. You have a laptop. Yep. Most of the stuff you do. And the feedback I got was, this is not working for me. I need to be back in the office because we could, they couldn't, Interact. Collaborate. They couldn't the collaborate. And there's right. a, I mean, that, and that's why I think you know we're you know still a little behind yeah. the the time, so to speak. But yeah. you know, we have a bullpen area, and it's you know people aren't in cubicles and less offices, and it's more about hey, I'm working on this, and you're working on that, and all right, let's and that inner and a lot of it is you know somewhat somewhat not productive, but the guys like interacting together. The, the, the people like being in the office. They like talk, they like talking about sports and like, oh, yeah. hey, this is what I bet on yesterday and all this. And then yeah. like, hey, can you help me with this? And just, just today I like popped in like, hey, I got a quick project. I need everyone's yep. help here. I need to bang this out. Everyone take a piece, hop on the internet, you know, you know, with SharePoint and everything else, collaborate on yeah. the same spreadsheet and yep. boom, you get something done. And yeah. it would have been harder to do that if everyone is, is had separate schedules and it been would. on their own time. I think it's a great point, and 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 the difficult thing is those things, you know, casual, casual collision, the water cooler moment, the collaborative aspects are very hard to quantify, right? right. So, yeah. so you do have a lot of people, and I do believe there is there is value in the office for those very very same reasons, but you have people sort of saying, well, prove it, you know, how yeah. how, how do I yep. make sure that's true? And then on the other side, you have people saying you have to be in all yeah. the time for these things to happen. Yeah, um, I you know I've I've worked remotely. Uh, majority of my life and, and I see it actually at conferences and things it is it's those water cooler moments when you run into somebody and they say yeah. hey you should speak to this person or you're talking about an issue or a problem and somebody else can help you solve yep. that, that's that's where I think the real value it's it's the spark it's sort of the magic that comes in if you're stuck on conference calls all day or you're hammering away on spreadsheets you don't necessarily need to do that in the office yep. and I think giving people the flexibility to choose makes them happier because maybe I knock out a, you know a spreadsheet yeah. in the morning and then I take my kid to school and then I come in and you know, I, I have lunch with the team. Um, we've seen some really interesting data from clients. Um, this was just after the pandemic, actually. A, a friend of mine was running workplace at LinkedIn. Um, you know, and their busiest times were between 11 and 2. And, and what they realized very quickly was people were coming in, they would have a meeting, they'd have lunch, they'd maybe have another meeting, and then they'd go out, right? So sure. um, you can't get divest of all of your space if you want to enable your employees to do that, right? Yeah. And, that's, and that's the art form, frankly, right now. And what I've noticed a lot is... is you know, I, all right, there, there's, there's times where I need to just sit down and I need three out. Like you said, I need to, yeah. I need an hour. I need, I can cr- I'll wake up early. I'll crank this out and then I take my daughter to school and then, okay, then I'm going to be in the office. But then it, the, the, the answer is somewhere in between. I need to be productive on my own. And at times being in the office is even worse because then I'm, I'm, yep. you know, BSing around something else when I, I I need if I put in a solid two hours and bang some stuff out, then go through meetings and interact yep. in the office. But then how do you mirror that with how much space you need and being efficient? Yep. And do you then still have a desk for everybody? And then how do you coordinate that? It's like oh well, my time was between eleven and two, but my time needs to be from twelve to four, and we are sharing the same workspace. Like and then it's just a freaking. Yep. And then you have to have enough. You know, talking to some like similar to you, talking to some big companies, they're like, we have to have enough space for everybody that one unicorn moment where everyone has to be in the office at the same time. 
but mm. then you're not using it all. And how do you, you know, get get everything out of it? And that's exactly why I think Simon's doing what he's doing is so we can bring companies together to collect because this is all new. No yeah. question. You're not even going to know what it is. No like question. Until 18 months. No question. Hey, Geoholics, we want to give a quick shout out to our good friend, Matthew Stansberry in Safety Apparel. Matt is reinventing Safety Apparel with the highest quality materials and most functional and versatile vest in the safety industry has ever seen. Safety Apparel offers ANSI slash CSA compliant high visibility survey and construction vest and reflective traffic control gloves, hats, stickers, and patches. They can also provide you with your company logo and other designs on vests, shirts, jackets, etc with many applications including silkscreen sublimation patches embroidery and heat transferred images visit their website at safetyapparel.us or send them an email at info at safetyapparel.us with all your safety needs and be sure to mention that you're a geoholic uh, so with that being said Sean, I agree with what you're saying 110%. Uh, let's go over some statistics that I came up with. Oh, okay? I like these, yeah. Here we go. Uh, so some random statistics is what I'm going to call this. Human-centric work design. Okay, that's, that's like the catchphrase these days. Featuring flexible work experiences, intentional collaboration opportunities, and empathetic management can increase employee performance by as much as 54%. Let's move on. 55% of employees are high performers when provided radically flexibility over where, when, and with whom they work versus 36% of those working nine to five in the office. If required to work fully on site, 43% of employees and 47% of knowledge workers say they would seek other jobs. 82% of employees agree it is important that their organization sees them as a person, not as an employee. There's a lot to unravel here. Well, this that, a, that last a, one is a little different than the other three. This is a paradigm shift. In my opinion, this is a paradigm shift. Oh, and I think that it's, it's like a good a, one. I, I think long-term it's a good one. Oh, sure. Yes. And it's like we need to adapt to, to these statistics, basically. Right. <laughs> I have a quick question. Yeah. And you said this word, and then you just said it. What is a knowledge worker? Uh, I mean, really, anybody who who does something that's really brain-driven. So it could be a computer developer. It could be an accountant. So somebody that's not necessarily f producing something with their hands, right? So somebody that doesn't need, you know, a massive amount of equipment to get their work done. Uh, Do you know what – and I don't know this, honestly. What is the percentage of the workforce that is – Knowledge workers versus hands workers. Yeah, it's probably it. It is. I would. That's a great question. I would guess that's it's a on great the question. I guess it's on the lower side, uh, and that's why sort of I I do try and preface with what I'm doing with the fact that it is really around knowledge work, um, because you know you you have companies. One of the companies I do a lot of work with, or who has been a big fan supporter of purposeful intent, is is Genentech. You know the biopharma company. Mm. They have things they're doing, and people that they have scientists that. They need their labs. They need their space, right? Yeah. But they, oh, also, yeah. they also have a percentage of knowledge workers, and, and the behaviors are, is, is very, very different, right, of, mm. of both. 
Um, so yeah, I mean that's I think that's a it's a very important point, right? You have to look at it. I mean, one of the funny ones I remember early on was somebody saying about you know not everybody can work from home, and this guy was like, yeah, I'm a bricklayer. How do I work from home? And I'm thinking, isn't that Ooh. what you do every day? You're like yeah. laying bricks at somebody's home. And I think um, that yeah. Uh, yeah, what we're talking about here is 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 somewhat specific to people that are traditionally going to an office. Yeah, but. There is something to be said that, you know, in, in our, our industry and a lot of our listeners, like most of their work day is just out. Yep. And the, the, you know, obviously it is a hard job. You're doing all these things, working with your hands, physical labor and all yep. that. But they don't experience some yep. of the things that you were talking about earlier where it's I get on a train. Sure. I take a train for an hour. I am in a suit and tie. I sit in my office. I have meetings, yeah. and then I get back, and then b- yeah. before you realize it, that was a twelve-hour day, and I got about three hours worth of work done. So let me ask you this: Do, do people crave personal interaction, or are they happy not having that? It, it's an interesting one because the oft, the, the often used uh, argument that I hear about the office is FOMO, right? Fear of missing out. Yeah, you know something, and companies are spending a lot of money trying to put on. You know, amenities or events or, or things to attract you mean people like into the team office. building? Yeah, even more so. I mean, like constantly, you look at like sort of the, the big tech giants putting on major concerts to bring people in. And I'm talking to people that are putting on really big events on a very frequent basis to try and bring people in. And I'm saying, why? And then I'm also saying, you know, what about Jomo? Joy of missing out. What about those mm. people that don't oh, want to be in the I've office? never heard Jomo, Jomo. before. Yeah, so this you is know, the first what thing about, you know, I, I think I'm Jomo. I think I'm Jomo. <laughs> Yeah, I'm I, say, I, I, I can't. I've known you a long time. You are not Jomo. <laughs> Fuck! Damn it! You know, I want to be Jomo. <laughs> if I'm, you know, if I'm a computer programmer who'd rather work nighttime hours, you know, you know, slam my Red Bulls and 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 do what I want and not converse with people, why not? Right? The sure. technology and the capabilities are there to do that. I think the challenge to go from where we were to where we are is very much in the human dynamics. Uh, it's in terms of you know how do how do we train people to manage in that sort of remote or asynchronous fashion, how do we address things like onboarding? I think for most Ooh. of us, right, from our career... Well, don't even know, get me started. Come out of college, one. come out of college, it's important for you to have that FaceTime and be in that office. Now, if you go to a company where, you know, the senior teams are not, or are embracing hybrid to the extent they're never there, then then how do you do that? It's all, oh. it's all achievable and doable. And I think a lot of people throw up those excuses as reasons not to do anything. Um, but it's, it, there, are, there are some great organizations that are, you know, uh, teaching people how to achieve those goals in, in this sort of new paradigm. So. Well, and a big thing that is a very common, common thing on this show is mentoring, training, yep. and how do we accomplish that with a guy that is, uh, wants to work from home with Red Bulls at the middle of the night and get his work done? Yep. And how do you develop as wow. a professional a if you question. don't interact with other people? Great yep. question. And I'm thinking that the, those that can really figure that out are the ones that are going to be successful in the next 20 years. Totally That's, agree. And and, and I'm and I'm always curious is you know there's a there's a part of you know what what we do or what I do is half of it I need that collaboration I need that you uh, know interaction I need you know critical thinking and all the great stuff that comes with that and then the other half I need production. I need somebody that will sit down, stay focused, push the buttons on the keys in the right order to get the thing that yeah. gets us what we need. And all the other distractions prevent me from getting there. And I need some and somewhere in between I need that. And it's as simple as that. Just just focus and push the letters in the right order, obviously. Uh, oh 
my God. So how we move forward is what I'm very interested in, and that's why I'm excited to have Simon on here just because yeah. that's, that's the whole process. I mean, everybody that listens to this show and does anything has had some interaction with work from home and how to, how to deal with this. So, Sean, let, yes, me, let, let me blow your mind completely. Okay. What if you and I and everybody else who works for our company was a hologram? And so we were at home. Yeah. But then, but then how do you how do I like smack you on the head and you really you feel you like the <laughs> <laughs> or like you know we're in the same office like if I really rip one like how do you really know it's like oh man or like <laughs> I can smell you when you come in the next day and I'm like man you had a lot of fun yeah, last night like I mean, yeah, I, I, I mean to, to me I, it's scary to be honest with you because like it's like it's like that interaction is going away slowly but surely right would you would you agree Simon well I mean it. I, there is there is some aspect of that, and I think yeah. that's why you need to sort of harness, you know, the right things to, to maintain. I think we've also seen coming out of the pandemic, you know, other areas that we maybe were, not, were less visible to before around, you know, inclusion, diversity, equity within the space, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. I mean, the, the big argument people are saying now is, well, if there's a, you know, if there's a downturn in the economy or a bigger downturn in the economy, then you have to be in the office, otherwise you're going to be the first person who goes. I don't believe that's true. Um but, you know, I think I, there is a need, as I say, that's that's why Purposeful Intent came about, because there is a need uh, to, you know, utilize all those different ways of working for the benefit of, of what you're trying to achieve. Um, and I think that's absolutely paramount. I would also say as well, though, you know, things have changed, right? Paradigms have changed. You look at pre-COVID, if you're, yep, yep. If you're managing any business with a call center, you would have those people in the office so you could keep your BDI on them every hour of the day. That's flipped. A lot of big call centers now, they're running them from home. Because technology sure. is helping, you know, ensure the right metrics that people are getting their job done without having somebody, you know, looking over their shoulder every five minutes. I would say for me, one of the biggest dynamics I've seen change, pre-pandemic, I would largely meet people in person before I added them on LinkedIn. Now I have a massive community of great knowledge across the globe that I've met through LinkedIn that I haven't actually met in person yet. And I don't think without the pandemic, I don't think that would have happened. That's very um, interesting. Yeah. That's how that, you know, it's like, oh, I've, I've met you now. Let's connect on LinkedIn. And now yeah. it's, you find yourself networking more, on, you know, online yeah. pre, pre-meeting than, than post. Absolutely. So I think, I think the connectivity aspect, I think it can be maintained in each environment, but you need to be conscious of it and make sure that you are doing that. Right. And it's not, you know, it wasn't even during the pandemic, having a virtual happy hour. Mm. It's being intentional about what you're doing to bring people together, to build relationships, to understand. And I think we'll see a lot more yep. of that sort of touchy-feely approach in the workplace uh, where people are looking at, you know, building communities within a large organization that it is, you know, s- kind of like the questions you asked before I came on here. It's around interests and things. It's yeah. building up that soft, um, you know, soft uh, connection as opposed to it sort of being a, being a hard physical connection all the time. So what advice could you give somebody who's, maybe experiencing this virtual connection for the first time, like how do you stand out from the other people that are making the same connection? That's a great question. I mean, probably, probably like in other aspects of life, right? It, it's going to be based upon what you're doing, how you're doing it, why you're doing it. I think the biggest thing, and again, for me working for myself now that I can do that I could never do before is you can, is, is to be really authentic, right? What are you trying to do and why, you know, what's, mm. what's your reason, right? Yep. My one of my big reasons for starting my company was that I wanted to be able to spend more time with my daughter, right? The 
pre-pandemic, I was traveling 200,000 miles a year. I was away probably three days every week and really missed aspects of her growing up. And having that time around her during the pandemic really hit home to me that I want more and more of this. So, yep. uh, I, I mean, it helps she's a cool kid, but yeah. That helps. If she was yeah. a dick, then it would probably yeah. be yeah, a different, totally. different <laughs> feel. Then I'd probably be advocating everybody in the office. Like, yeah, <laughs> right. But, so, so, yeah, that's a good point. <laughs> Hello again, Geoholics. We want to take a second to thank our good friends at TopoDot. TopoDot is a high-performance application for extracting topography and models from point clouds, calibrated images, and related data. With the TopoDot tools, you can manage point cloud projects of any size and analyze quality and extract features for a wide range of survey and transportation applications, such as corridor topographies, GIS and utility inventories, surface modeling, and other data analysis applications. TopoDot differentiates itself from all others. Be sure to listen to our special Geoholics Roadshow episode when we attended the 2022 TopoDot Users Conference. To learn more about this awesome company, visit www.topodot.com or contact them for a demo on your own today at 407-716-5886. And be sure to mention that you're a geoholic for the VIP treatment. Uh, but you, you were, you were segueing into this, you know, talking about holograms, which, you know, I'm not quite, quite as big of a fan of, but what, uh, you know, I'm sure you get, you get this a lot or interact with it a lot as far as, technology goes you know you mentioned slack and all these you know it's now it's zoom and teams and everything but how do you see uh different areas and where do you see the technology going to really help us as a workforce adapt to you know where we should be or how we can get to where we want to go yeah it's a great question and and i think different answers depending where you look at it but for me one of the bigger drives really is um you know what are you doing to try and replicate that in-person experience in a virtual environment, right? And there's way too much talk right now about metaverse. I don't believe we're anywhere near close to having something that is workable in the metaverse. I think we have component pieces like, you know, uh, AR, virtual reality, et cetera, that will play into that, but we really don't have anything tangible that, that you could constitute a metaverse. A lot of people are selling on that basis. I think part just of so you know, Kent loves talking about the metaverse, okay. but not from a what you're talking about is like, you know, an, an office in the metaverse. Yeah, I'm we're we're yeah, like rudimentary, question. like we're in like land development of the metaverse. Yeah, like, how talking, do we set the infrastructure? Because we're not, we all agree, we're not even close yeah. to being there. Yeah, I'm talking. Yeah, you know, a fully a fully immersive, interactive, interoperable environment. You know, where you're running transactions. <laughs> you know, via blockchain, everything is, is driven through Web3. And then you'd have what a lot of people are mistakenly referring to the metaverse as, as those virtual environments. And intriguingly, I think some of those are actually probably, they're, they're way too nascent in, in where they are. You know, you look at people that are meeting virtually in virtual spaces and they've got their headsets on and it's not going to work, right? Until that tech is small enough that it's not invasive. And frankly, is probably something, if it is wearable, it has to be as easily wearable as a pair of glasses. No mm, big company yeah. is going to use that. But companies right. are trying to sell that as being an alternative, and I think it's a very poor alternative. Um, and, and I think there's always, there's always that issue, right, of, of there's, there's technology solutions out there to address problems that don't exist, and, and it's, it's an art to try and work out which ones are actually of real benefit and value. So, All right, Simon, let me ask you this. <clears throat> so there are people in the workforce like myself that have been doing or have been working in the profession for 30 to 40 plus years, right? And then there are people that are right out of college. What does the future 
ideal employee look like? Uh, oh, that's a good one. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I think I think a lot of the old mantras are going to change. I don't yeah. think people... I actually had dinner in Paris a couple of weeks ago with a guy I know who's uh, started a, a hybrid working company called Cafe. Really great product and really aimed at building connections around the workplace. But, you know, he said him and he and his brother, I'm guessing they're late 20s, early 30s. Yeah. You know, their, their, their aspiration is that they never spend more than two years at a company. And I think we'll see more of that. I think you will see more entrepreneurship. I think you will see a bigger gig economy where you will see people that, Ooh. you know, are traveling around the world. They're enjoying their time off while they're, you know, not working. Um, I, I think work from anywhere can really expand out. And, and you'll see, you're starting to see already countries offering visas to people to come so they can work on a beach, right? And, and there are companies that will take up that talent. And I think the big talent play that, that needs to be considered is, you know, we can truly go global as a talent pool, right? So it's not necessarily, if you think pre-pandemic, you may be, from a knowledge worker perspective, you know, if I'm in Arizona, I'm probably only looking at people in Arizona because pre-pandemic, I didn't think they could be effective in other areas. Sure. Right yeah. now, then maybe I'm looking at a wider scale and looking at the US. The next natural growth of that is going to be looking on a more global basis. You know, why can't I have a developer in Kazakhstan building stuff for me asynchronously with a team in the US? And, and I think that's the change. And I think people are going to maybe act as more independent, um, you know, workers and contractors than, than they ever have done in the past. And I think partially because of that drive to have a real true, you know, I wouldn't say work-life balance. I would say, you know, work-life merger, right? Yeah. That th people want to have that. So. Yeah. Yeah. And you mentioned like kind of like the, the gig workers. And that has become huge since the pandemic, yeah. right? Huge. I mean, can, can I can I take a yeah. step back? Yeah. For the those not uh, as as well versed as you guys, what is a gig worker? I mean, I really look at a gig worker as somebody who is you know working in that gig economy. They they can work uh, independently. What is they the gig do, economy? You kind of can do what you want from anywhere. Okay. So it's like okay. a I mean, yeah. I, I remember software developer. Yeah. Any anything six, that six or seven years ago, I had a ten week assignment in Singapore, and every weekend. I would fly off and go somewhere else. And I met so many people traveling around who that's what they would, they would do, right? They would go to Bali and, you know, maybe during the day they would be working and developing code for a company and then they would enjoy their travel time. Or I met people that would go, you know, they'd go and sit in a city with good Wi-Fi for three weeks, work really, really hard and then take, you know, three weeks off and go travel. So you, you're not really right. working necessarily directly for a company. You're really working more independently. You know, independent, yeah. independently. But that also yeah. uh, requires a a, a a work product that can be done independently Absolutely. and at yeah. your own pace. And that is always going to, you know, because yeah. if I could choose, okay, can I just bang out three months worth of work in one month? Okay, I'll do that in a yeah. second and make a hundred thousand know, dollars make my you know, do my thing yeah. do it and then yep. and then fuck off the rest of the time but, but i think yeah. that's the change that's happening in other ways as well is you're you're starting to see you know companies and even countries you know bringing in things like a four-day week um you're seeing yeah. legislation around the balance like in i think in france you i think france the work week is 35 hours and it's illegal for your company to make you work outside of those hours right so and i yeah. think we'll see more of those things permeate as as we grow because you know you're going to have to have maybe not to that extent but you're going to have to have some comparable benefit to keep your employees working for american companies if mm. they can say wait a minute so I interesting uh, like PETA, who we we have become really good friends with uh, yeah in australia i think the standard work week is 38 hours per week yeah yeah 
Yeah. Uh, and they that, have like, they have they have like holidays every other week. It's and crazy. they were way yeah. ahead of the curve yeah. on this because it was a way of life for yeah. them before. Yes. They weren't, exactly. You know, the big yes. thing that always blows my mind and, and people like, chose to ignore is that, you know, pre-pandemic, you were lucky if you had 60% of your people in the office on a regular basis. Yep. Now all of a sudden people think they can get 100% of people back in the office. You know, you have the David Solomons and the Jamie Diamonds saying, thou shalt come back to the office. And, and I equate it back to, you know, the old days of, of IBM. You know, IBM came out in the 70s and said, there's no need ever for the to be more than five personal computers. Um, there was another famous one that came out that's, you know, said, why would anybody ever want a computer in their, li- in their yeah. living room? Yeah. Right? They just... It's not like they're making bad predictions. They're just basing it on their existing knowledge base and they're yeah. not thinking about what's going to happen. You know, th- they may also have sort of a slight view in the fact that their organizations and themselves individually probably have significant investment in real estate and that is going to tank. It's, it has to. There's, yep. there's, you know, there is that going to be that impasse and I think companies are going to be more flexible when it comes to leasing and when it comes to space. I think we have to become more creative about how we use space um i can't i wish i remember the exact stat but there was some statistic i read the other day and it was something like a hundred the equivalent of a hundred salesforce towers were available for lease in Mm. uh in in the city of london right what are you going to do with that space because you're not going to have that many people all of a sudden wanting to lease space but there are ways that we can use space for you know, for the betterment of society. And I think there are things that we need to address around that as well. You know, in Arizona, here, you know, you you would probably look at the numbers and say there's actually a lot more people maybe going into offices because it's an easy commute. You feel safe. Yeah. San Francisco, one of the biggest issues I would say in San Francisco and L.A., is not people not wanting to come into the office because they don't like the office and they don't like the snacks and they don't have, you know, Wi-Fi. It's they don't want to commute because they don't feel safe necessarily commuting. Oh, wow. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So yeah, that's, that's a whole different. And I think a lot yeah. of people are focusing on how do we attract people back into the box that is an office, but what yep. about, you know, how do you convince a 22-year-old who has to work late that they should come to their office in downtown L.A. and have to walk through the streets at night? I mean, I know a guy who's built a whole company all about crime stats so that when yeah. you're looking at leasing space, they can actually tell you, you know, the frequency, the severity of crimes in that yep. area, right? And that's something people, I don't think, have, have really addressed yet. Yeah, no, I, I think it's a really good point because, like, for example, my oldest daughter, um, she works for a large investment company. And one thing they've done is entice them back to the office by being like, hey, come in. Go to the uh, cafeteria at lunch. Everything's on us, yeah. right? And it's like it's I mean, what is offered them is incredible. It's unbelievable. And 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 McKenna's like, Dad, this is unbelievable. You know, I show up in, at my office. I am working um, without anybody bothering me, and I get to go to the cafeteria and complete spread. I can freaking grab all this stuff and take it home. I mean, there, there's just so much available to them. It's incredible. But, that, yeah, uh, that but, that but it's like, to, is that really what they want though? I don't know. But I bet it plays into it. I think yeah. as well, you know, you, you're going to be, you're going to have to, if you really believe there's value in having people in the office on a more frequent basis, you're going to have to appeal to different instincts. And the yeah. food one for younger generation is a big one, right? If yeah. I'm, if I'm yeah. living in New York and, and you're giving me free food yep. um, and I'm commuting in on the subway, you know, exactly. great. I'm saving myself 20 bucks a day. Yep. There was a company and I can't name them, but 
in New York that offered employees at a high level 60 bucks a day just to come into the office. And they said no, because 60 bucks didn't cover their, yeah. you know, their gas, their parking and their lunch. So they're like, I'd yeah. rather stay at home. But, but that's, it's a good point because the yeah. big age difference in terms of how do you yeah. stra- strategically bring people back? Yeah. Well, I want to connect with something that you said earlier and that, that exact uh, idea is, okay. You said um, the, and I don't know how you put it, but it was, you know, like you, know, you work a little bit in the morning, and then you have your own time, and yeah. then and then you said, "Oh, it's a it's mm-hmm. a it's not a work for life balance. It's a you said it's a work life integration. Work life integration. Yeah. So that, that idea is not that what you know. No. Not everyone thinks that because not there is a significant portion that yeah. say, I totally agree. okay, I show up, I am working." And then I, at lunch, I turn off, right. I do my own thing, I come back, I'm working, I leave, I'm not working. And yeah. they need that separation. I'm either working yeah. or I'm not. And this, you know, a work-life integration is very different from that. It's, yep. okay, here's how I can mold what I need to get done inside my life and then have some, and I'm just very intrigued on how companies are dealing with that and how do you convince somebody that because just like that same example like yeah. the whole idea of having mckenna at the office there is to keep her there yep. and yep. okay she'll instead of going off site for an hour and a half yeah. she's actually you know going to the cafeteria probably takes a 30 minute lunch and they get more out of it and yep. every you know but, but she shouldn't see it that way and she shouldn't do the whole okay i'm turning and not looking at my work email i'm going yeah. to look at my phone and watch movies for exactly one you know 60 minutes yep. and then turn the clock, you know, punch back in. And it seems like we're at that stage where how do you figure out how to deal with work-life integration versus the balance versus when am I working? When am I not? And not have to expect people to work 60 hours a week, 70 hours a week. Let's go back to that example because McKenna's like, dad, I mean, this is great. They're providing me with all this food and this and that, but I could be so much more productive at home. Yeah. 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 Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, uh, and I, and I think, you know, again, sort of to go back to it, that's why you really need to concentrate and focus on what are they trying to achieve yep. as opposed yeah. to, you know, mandating any time. I mean, anybody that has the conversation about well, what day should we come in, I, I always say you're asking the wrong question. You should be thinking, what are you trying to achieve? Mm. Um, and it yeah. has to be based on that, right? There's very, It's very easy to set rules around, you know, when can you, you know, when do you need to be online, right? Yeah. So if, if you say, okay, our company, maybe we, we have sort of collaborative efforts between 10 and 3, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. So, yeah. And I think that the big thing is setting those expectations so employees know what to expect, right? Yeah. When do I have to be online and when can I, you know, work more of a flexible environment? You know, we're yeah. all grown-ups, and I think the yes. big piece is that you give people that agency to work how they work best. They'll work better. They'll be happier. They'll be more productive. They'll be more effective, which is, I think, even more important. And that's yeah. that's that's the... You know, it's an interesting conversation that we have with people, right? Yeah. Because the expectations sure. yeah. have been way different. I haven't seen a single company that's mandated people come back to work, come out and provide the stats of how many people actually came back. Mm. Um, you know, I equated a lot of it to, um, you know, when when uh, when they announced uh, last summer the you know the the big soccer clubs in Europe were going to do a breakaway European league, the fans basically said, "No, you're not," and it stopped. <laughs> right, and and yeah. I think it's the same thing. You know, I think companies saying wow. you are coming back into the office, yeah. the fans slash employees will vote with their feet and say, no, I'm not. Like, what are you going to do? Fire your entire workforce if people yeah. don't come in? Well, yeah. obviously, 89% of companies have adopted some sort of uh, yeah. flexible work schedule. Yeah, like and a that, hybrid and that's, type yeah. thing. Yep. Yeah. 
And, and I think the 11% that haven't, they're going to start, if they haven't already, and many of them have, they're going to start losing their better employees for a more flexible environment. Yeah. But like for you said, it's going to take some time for them to, one, realize yeah. that, and two, yeah. have some data behind it to, yeah, to, to show. Uh, sure. One other thing that yeah. I want to ask um, before I get it off my list. Um, you mentioned, you know, uh, other countries and international, and you mentioned, like, you know, they work differently in other countries. I'm very curious, especially given your unique you know, perspective here. You've worked in other countries, done a lot of traveling. You mentioned, you know, the 35 max in, in France. Like, what do you think, you know, not necessarily 20 years ago, but now, what are the big differences that you see in the workforce in other countries versus the U.S.? And is there things that we can learn from or, or what? Uh, I'm really interested in your perspective. I, I mean, I, I think where I'm seeing big differences, and of course it's smaller it's smaller entities in some examples, but, you know, is, is the investment that the countries are putting into the ecosystem to ensure people can work effectively. You know, Ireland announced an, a national sort of 5G mandate where they're going to make 5G accessible everywhere in the country to help people work better. Um, the old arguments people would have in countries like India that, well, you know, you can't work from home because you don't have the connectivity. All of those things are getting gradually improved. And, right. and uh, you know, and I think that's the big thing that I'm seeing in other countries. And yes, more social, socialist by nature. But, you know, they're putting an infrastructure in place. They're not looking at it just from a corporate perspective. So they're looking at it so their citizens can, you know, have a, have a better balance of life and have better access to uh, other opportunities. And I, I think that's going to be hard here because, you know, we don't have that same ethos around, you know, the betterment of the country as opposed to individuals. Um, and and that, that could be tricky. Um, I, I do think the U.S. is now starting to see how other countries have operated for a long period of time in terms of that, that whole balance of, of work mm. and life. Um, and absolutely see it from the younger generations that, that I interact with. You know, their expectations are very, very different in terms of oh, what yeah, work yeah. should be and what they're willing to accept and what they're not, um, which I think is fair. I mean, I, you know, I had a, a great colleague that I worked with, and the first time I sent her an email at 7 o'clock, she very politely replied back and said, you know, this is great. I'll respond to it in normal work hours. And I was initially a little taken aback, and then I'm like, good on you. You know, that's the right way to be, right? So I think it's sort of setting those those parameters and expectations. But are, then are that important. goes right back into the other point of, okay, what's normal work hours sure. when yeah. your work life integrated and yeah. your normal work hours may be five to eight, skip three hours, and then come back to it? So yeah. what like, what are normal working hours? Oh, I, how, do you, how do you define that anymore? You really can't. Well, do you need to is my question. Why, well. why, yeah. Yeah, why oh, do you need that, to? If I think you that have, might be the question. Yeah, is, if you have the right people and yeah. the right seats on the bus, as they say, and you trust them, I mean, who cares what their working hours are? I mean, are? I can tell you, ideally for me, it's the, the scenario I gave you. It's, yeah. it's interaction in the office and then hand... You know, hand it off to yeah. the to to yep. the to the button pushers. They can work all night, and then we come back in the office and okay, let's see what we got. Okay, let's get that better. And then I just I have this feeling. There's no I don't have data behind it yet, but yeah. I have this feeling that we're going to be way more efficient. This just seems like we're I, we're spinning our wheels a little bit, yes. trying to take somebody, and especially in our our, our <laughs> field and and definitely in the survey field. It's yeah. okay. Go outside experience nature, yep. do a bunch of physical work. But then at, you know, right about three o'clock, I need you to come back to the office or your home office or wherever, and then sit down, focus, 
and then get two hours of very effective work done right right then after you've been outside trouncing around sweating your ass off all day like how was that possible and that's the ideal scenario I agree. that's why it's, it's definitely giving people the agency to do that themselves I yeah I think one thing that will permeate more and more is is absolutely the four-day work week but not how pre-pandemic companies in the US were trying to adopt it which was basically saying you do four tens. Yeah, yeah. Or yeah no, no, it's four you're tens. doing four days. That's it. You, you work. You don't work Friday, Saturday, Sunday. And I think I think there's a lot of benefit to that, right? It, there has to be the big thing that is lacking still for a lot of people in companies is trust, right? You have to trust the employees that you have to do the right thing. And if you don't yeah. trust them, then you either have the wrong management or you have the wrong employees. And that's I think you know something that has to be addressed. Totally now, agree with that 110. percent Now the challenge that I'm seeing a lot is especially big companies, the people yeah. making that decision are the middle managers who who largely are tasked with making sure that people turn up and right. you know they yeah. they're ap- apparently working. And that's so it, it does take it does take some sort of real conscious effort I think to to make these things happen. So. Mm. Yeah. Oh my gosh, a lot, a lot of changes happening over the course of uh, the last few years, for sure. Uh, my question is to both of you guys: is uh, obviously we think it's a good thing, but I mean, is that exciting? And what what's exciting? What, what you know? What are especially Simon? What are you excited about for the next five years? You know, all right, we had this cultural shift, had this opportunity to really change things. What do you see in the next five years? And what what really what what do you see coming up? I mean, I'm excited to see as more and more people actually adopt the benefits of you know, new ways of working, right? So people getting to spend more time with their family. I guarantee this. I have become a much better father and husband because I am more flexible in terms of how I work, right? I can help out and do things that in the past maybe I would have done occasionally, but I was traveling the entire time, so it was very, very difficult for me well, to the be other a question conscious you know, husband and, and father. Oh, that, and that's great for your family, would you say that you're a better employee or worker? You know, obviously you're in a, in a different spot, but would you say you're more effective as as an employee? I think so. I mean, I think I think I think giving people the agency to make those decisions and, and make themselves happier in their life, bearing in mind you're employing the right kinds of people. You know, you have to have that. Tr- I I will say it myself. I mean, there are days in a week sometimes that maybe I'll do three hours work and then I'll be on the golf course with. Potentially somebody else in this room, um, <laughs> and then there are. I can either confirm you know, or deny that. <laughs> and then there are other there are other days that you know I'll I'll, I'll work a twelve hour day, or it will be Sunday and I'll get some work done. And and I, you know, I'm driven by getting my work achieved. Um, it doesn't have to be in a sort of set uh, defined parameter time wise, right? So yep. I think as long as you have the expectations of when delivery is and why. It makes sense. I think there are way too many arbitrary deadlines put in business these days um, that that people need to think about consciously when they're you know enacting projects. Um, and yeah, I mean, for me, it comes down to it comes down to that that trust aspect. And I think I think the benefit you get of having engaged, happy workers far outweighs the potential loss of you know that one person who's sat on the sofa smoking weed, you know, watching uh, Squid Game. Um, you know, but they might be the person that comes up with the most creative idea that makes your company a ton of money. So right, yeah, exactly. Um, I want to be that guy. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, I don't, I don't. To, you, to the point of your question, I mean, I don't think we're going to see massive change in terms of, uh, you know, the next five years in terms of how we work. I'm really fascinated to see what happens to office space, mm. not the movie, but the actual yeah. physical office space, about yeah. how people look at alternative ways of using it, and you know, really how how can we use that 
you know, 90 Salesforce towers in London for for betterment of, of some of the social issues that we have. Um, well, it's it's interesting you brought time. that movie up because I think that it kind of, you know, like think about being those guys at that office is exactly what we're talking about yeah. of what not to do and what's <laughs> not effective. And yeah, that's what we want to avoid right now. Yeah. And and I, it's just funny you said that. I mean, and I've seen I've seen companies do things like, you know, put in driving range in their meeting rooms. You know, so you go in and you collaborate and then you hit some golf balls. Um, uh, is that beneficial or not? Who knows? But uh, but it's it's an interesting point, thing to try. Point of order, you know. I do. We do have a dartboard at the office, and uh, before that, at the previous <laughs> office, there was some floor uh, some floor outlets, and God. one of them was empty. So we turned that into a putting green right there in the middle of the office, and it was just I don't know it. Yeah. You know, it just feels like people are a little bit more. Hey, this is yeah. kind of fun oh, for sure. But I. I, I'm, I'm sorry, I just don't see how that is getting us any less work done. We still need to get the same stuff done, and yep. we still get it done the same way we did. We just had a little bit more fun when we did it than just sitting there staring at a screen. I think the big thing that COVID has done as well is it's it's really humanized work for people, right? We see each other's kids. We see things, you know, we see what somebody's house looks like in the background. We're more conscious, mm. I think, of those things and accepting of them than ever before, right? If If in the past your kid came in, on a conference call, you'd be mortified. You yeah, know, yeah, I, yeah, exactly. I, I had my daughter come in naked while I was on a call at four years old saying, Dad, can you wipe my butt? And the person on the other end of the conference just kind of laughed, right? And that that would have happened before. And I think the, I think oh, I think awesome. it has become more human, you know. And, yeah. and we think about things we didn't, which we should. And that's where connectivity is driven from. You yeah. know, it's from coming in in the morning and asking, you know, how's your daughter getting on at, yeah. at her investment banking yeah. company? Is wow. understanding those things makes a big, big difference. Yeah, I would definitely agree with that. Um, yeah. Man, all, all kinds of really great stuff. There is one question we ask everybody. Um, um, and you said it earlier, but I don't think you really defined it. Um, do you have a mantra that you live by? Uh, I, don't, I don't think I necessarily do. I mean, I, you know, I, I really try and, um, you know, I, I try and give people as much of me as I can. Uh, I, I feel very fortunate to be in the position I'm in. You know, I'm, you know, almost 50. I'm a white guy. I've, I've had a lot of advantages in life. I went to one of the best schools in the UK. Um, I built a great sort of collective of, of business. And one of my passions now I'm working on is, is how do I elevate other people up? Mm. Um, and that started that like, actually last year I was at a conference presenting on a panel. And I looked around and it was four white guys. And I said, I actually came out of that conference and I said, I'm not doing a, another manal you know, a man and <laughs> another mantle. Yeah. And, and I've done it a few times where somebody's reached out to me. I've asked who yeah. else is on the panel. They've given me three guys names and I've said, well, how about considering these people to do that? Um, so I think that's, I think sort of, you know, uh, what is it? A, a rising tide lifts all ships. I think you know, using the advantages that I have to benefit others, I think is a, is a big thing. Um, I'm getting really passionate about, I'm doing some work with, with a young guy, 24, 25 year old CEO out of London, um, he did the biggest black talent survey in the UK on, you know, how do you attract Gen Z black talent? And it yeah. was fascinating to me. There's some of the stats were unbelievable. Like something like 42% of, of, of black millennials change their name to make it more socially acceptable or to make people That is insane. It. That's crazy. Incredibly insane. Changing their hair, all these things. And I'm actually working with him now on bringing that same survey to the US. 
um, you know, and sort of leveraging my contacts at big companies to, to get in and get sponsorship, but also to get this wow. survey out there because it, it blew my mind. It really did. You know, I saw him speak wow. in London in, in April and then I brought him to LA to speak at one of my events. And I think, I think it's something we should all think of, right? Like we're, yeah. we're in our latter years, we, we, we're all successful. Like how can you help, you know, groom, <coughs> build the next generation uh, with the advantages that you've built? Yeah, Absolutely. Yeah, Simon, really good stuff. Sean, anything else, buddy? Um, you know what, man? My my mind's spinning. Um, we really we could stuff. talk about this for for we forever. sure could. Yeah, but uh, uh, all all great stuff. Really I, appreciate I mean, I, you coming on. I got to get out of here and put some money on the Patriots. <laughs> 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 all right, here we go. Adding value and making friends. That's what we do here at the Geoholics, right? Absolutely. That is exactly what we do. If you'd like to be a guest on a future show or have any topical ideas, shoot us an email at info at thegeoholics.com. We'd love to hear from you. YouTube Desire, available everywhere. Until next, everybody. Until next time, everybody. Until next time. Why do I sound like I'm drunk? (laughs) Uh, Be safe. And healthy. And healthy. Thank you to our 2022 friends of the program, Advanced Geodetic Survey, AGSGPS.com, Airworks, airworks.io, Bad Elf, bad-elf.com, Cyanic Automation, getjobbook.com, Diamondback Land Surveying, diamondbacklandsurveying.com, Extreme Aerial Productions, extremearialproductions.com, Get Kids Into Survey, getkidsintosurvey.com. Mentoring Mondays, mentoringmondays.xyz. Monson Engineering, monsonengineering.com. Nettleman LC Prep, lcprep.com. North Star Surveying, northstarsurveying.com. ProStar Corporation, prostarcorp.com. Safety Apparel, safetyapparel.us. Topodot new.certainty3d.com and finally Trimble Geospatial geospatial.trimble.com